street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Welcome to Eric Murphy, Digital Gnosis, Nathan, good to see you here, Nathan, and the Lavender Lady. That's a great name. I should have a name like that. The Lavender Lady would be the um, Smelly Man. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, thank you to Reed Nicewander. He uh, emailed me, no, messaged me on Facebook about this video, and it is juicy. It is unbelievably great. It it gave me a, a dose of uh, dopamine, endorphins, serotonin. Serotonin? <laughs> no, not serotonin. It, it gave me all the right ju juices. <laughs> I shouldn't say. It, it gave me all the right uh, chemicals in my brain to bring me joy, hope, meaning, and purpose. So my thanks to uh, Bishop Robert Barron for doing that for us. Uh, it's okay. I gotta pretend there's a Roman Catholic listening, and I gotta, you know, if you have the truth, you shouldn't be worried about people asking you questions about what you believe. If you're worried about being manipulated, maybe you really don't know what you believe and why. If you're scared that, if you're scared that, that people will leave Roman Catholicism or Christianity because a guy like me will ask questions, well, maybe you don't really have a firm foundation to begin with. Hmm. In this video, Robert... Okay, this is going to tick off Roman Catholics. But in this video, Bishop Robert Barron reminds me of, of high school like just face turning red and just like oh I shouldn't have done that okay uh, home office in Wichita can you someone's going to clip that and say I'm a bad guy for doing clip take that off in editing but uh, <laughs> let's let's just get into it let me uh, set it up basically he's being asked about um, Peter Bergosian's book Manual to Create an Atheist, and uh, and they were going through it, the summary point by point, and talking about it. Well, today we're going to be talking about a new book I mentioned in the intro. It is a new book. This book is is this a, a, a second edition or because this is not new. This is four years old. Read, help me in the live stream chat. Is was there a volume two edition two? Because. Or is this really old? This came out just hours ago, 119 minutes ago. So what's this about a new book? Titled A Manual for Creating Atheists. So a pretty provocative mm. title. Yeah. It's written by a man named Peter Boghazian. I think I'm Boghazian. saying that right. He's a philosophy professor at Portland State University. And the book outlines what I would describe as anti-evangelization or talking people out of their faith. So how do you have conversations with friends, family, even strangers on the street and talk them out of believing in God? Whoa, this, 
Okay, never mind. Was, um, the book is, I think, a little old. It was maybe a year or two ago that it was first released, but as soon as it came out, it cracked the Amazon top 100. The book's a little old, new book. Meaning mm. top 100 most popular books in the world. Sold out of the first printing, even during pre-orders, second printing in two weeks. There was a big Washington Post interview with Peter, the author, um, and he says some things we've heard Bishop before from some of the other new atheist types. For example, I'm, I'm quoting him here. He says, faith is an unreliable reasoning process. It will not take you to reality. So we need to help people to value processes of reasoning that will take them to the truth. And elsewhere in the interview, he compares. <laughs> Look at Robert Barron's face. He's like, please let me talk. I'm going to explode. Reasoning people uh, out of their belief in God to treating drug addicts. He says faith is a virus. And so we need to cure people of this arrogance. virus. Yeah, what's your, what, what's your initial take on some of these quotes? That breathtaking arrogance. Uh, I mean. Uh, breathtaking arrogance. It's like, if, if you believe faith is something else completely different than what Peter Bogosian has defined, it shouldn't even bother you. It's just, okay, I disagree with him. I know what faith is. And this, the same with, with Christians when they get upset with R and Ra. It's like, but the Bible says, all the, the scholars say, uh, the Greek for pistos is this. It's like, that just show it, it tells me something that that you guys are defensive about this. I mean, and the the insouciance with which, uh, with which those statements are are uttered to me is just incredible. And from someone is he say he's a philosophy professor, right? Uh, the the ignorance of the grand sweep of the intellectual tradition. Yeah, I, I got a a newsflash. I'm not going to say anything that they don't already know. The uh, what did he say? Grand tradition. The the ignorance of the grand sweep of the intellectual tradition. Intellectual tradition. What he's talking about is his heroes, Aquinas and so forth, going all the way back like a thousand years or so. It's newsflash. Most people in the United States and probably on the planet don't care about this rich tradition that you're alluding to. They don't care. Even probably a lot of people in the Roman Catholic Roman Catholic Church do not care. Because what that represents, Brandon, is a sort of popularization of a very narrow construal of Enlightenment-era epistemology. But to claim that knowledge is reducible to uh, the kind of scientific method or the empirical method, the, the breathtaking ignorance and arrogance, because it overlooks so much of the intellectual tradition that is not uh, accessible through such a narrow, restricted... Uh yeah, and maybe we would have had an iPhone sooner if uh, they did change this rich tradition. Like, well, well, even in, in the modern era, era, you can say, we thinking back to the 1960s and 1970s, 1980s, we have a rich tradition on how to make silicon circuit chips. We have a rich tradition on how to make cars. It's like, if we would have stuck to that rich tradition, would we have the Tesla that can drive itself today? Would we have the computing power that's like, what a terra, terra fold more powerful than what we had in the 1960s? Um, epistemological method. Tradition can be good, can be a good foundation to work off of, but it can also hold progress back, right? 
And it could be flat out wrong tradition. So anyway, that's just my first. And then, you know, just the hugely significant figures in just the Western tradition, from Paul to Augustine to Aquinas to Bonaventure to Mozart to Bach, to Descartes himself, to who were Newton himself, who were religious believers. When's the last time you've heard Mozart or, or Bach on TikTok? <laughs> and that all these people are just, what's the language he's using there? They're like drug addicts. They're just caught in some opium den of, of illusion and so on. The, just on the surface of it, the, the arrogance of it to me is, is staggering. All right. So Not this that I book. have strong feelings about this at all. <laughs> so, and you think... He's just getting started. So you like the book is what you're oh, saying. I mean, I don't know. I'm just hearing about it from you. But I mean, just that kind of statement is so baldly ignorant and arrogant that it's just uh, it's just upsetting. Yeah, there's only one. Uh, and thank you, Scott Duke, for reminding me. There's one thing I really do appreciate about tradition, and that is the musical Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, so in this book, he outlines what he describes as a novel approach to drawing believers out of this addiction, this virus, that he calls street epistemology. Street epistemology is sort of this set of tactics that allow you to have conversations with people who believe in God and sort of talk them out of it. The main way he does this is through a form of Socratic dialogue that challenges people's faith by asking them a lot of questions. And this model of street, uh, street epistemology has gained a huge following in the atheist community. You see this term pop up in basically every major atheist book since then. Whole websites devoted to it. Their whole... Anybody can use this method, doesn't have to be an atheist. In fact, I think Roman Catholics should learn this method more so uh, because they're losing numbers uh, more quickly than Protestants. Uh, it seems like in the United States, the only reason why uh, Roman Catholics are holding their percentage, I think it's around 19, 20%, is because of immigration, people coming from third world countries where there's less access to information and education. That, that says something about your religion, uh, Robert Barron. When the growth in your religion comes from the areas where there's the least amount of books and internets and uh, education. YouTube channels devoted to people putting it in action, filming themselves. Is that racist? Going out on the street and talking to strangers and convincing them that God doesn't exist. Um, so what I want to do here, Bishop, is uh, talk through the steps involved in this street epistemology and get your thoughts on them. Okay. Uh, I'm taking these from the website streetepistemology.com. So oh, I, great plug for streetepistemology.com. I can't think of a more definitive source. And they kind of group the process into 10 different steps. So let's go through them. Step number one is to just build rapport with your interlocutor. It says, build rapport with your interlocutor before getting into deep dialogue. Try to find something you have in common. Taking the time to do... Yeah, building rapport. Who in the world is going to disagree with that? ...anxiety about immediately engaging with a stranger. I'm assuming you'd be totally fine with that, right? Sure. That sounds like a good basic rule for any <laughs> kind of conversation. Sure. All right. Step two, identify the claim. Now, it says you may already know what your interlocutor's claim is. For example, you may have initiated the discussion because you overheard them saying they believe in God or they... This is a great, great point. Identify the claim. And this is something that I see in online discussions, especially, uh, I think it's a more so coming from the Christian side. Hey, thank you for the donation, Mark. Wonder how Bishop Barron would describe someone who claims certain knowledge of things that can't be proven, breathtaking arrogance maybe? Yeah, good point. Um, when you're so certain about something, you can't falsify it or you can't demonstrate it. 
what good is it to at least evangelize that that claim? But speaking of claims, so many times, uh, tell me if you've you've seen this. You're talking to a Christian, and they say, "You believe this? How can you believe that?" Blah 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 blah. Instead of waiting patiently, like um, you can even pretend you're you're a Christian in the bushes, you're a Roman Catholic in the bushes, waiting to pounce. You just they can't really see you. Just a little silhouette of the Roman Catholic there, and an atheist walks by, and they hear the atheist make a claim. Then you have my permission to jump out of that bush, and then build the rapport, and then ask the question about that claim. But how many times you just, oh, you're a Roman Catholic, so you believe this. Oh, you're an atheist, so you believe this. Why not just wait for the person to say what they believe and then ask them about it? They believe in UFOs or the supernatural. Um, but once you're actively looking to practice street epistemology on someone, you need to take the step of moving from idle chit-chat to the worthwhile claim. Most people practicing street epistemology are focused on religious claims, so the common claim is something like... Is that true? Probably. Like, God is real and the Bible is true. And so they're encouraging you to ask the other person, is this what you believe? And this reminds me, Bishop, of something you've often encouraged. Like, make sure that you're clear on what the other person believes and that you're not just strawmanning it or coming up with a weird distortion of their belief. Yeah, I mean, fine, fair enough. But I'd also want to make sure... Okay, remember uh, the first two points, it seems like... Robert Barron agrees. Sure that you're talking to at least some really well-read, well-informed Christians. I find very often with this sort of thing, Brandon, is people talking to maybe sincerely religious people, but who are utterly incapable of defending their faith intelligently. And so therefore you do end up knocking down a straw man because they're, they're just... <laughs> you hear the language he's saying? Knocking down straw man. By the way, I've said this in the past. When you're talking with a believer and they're talking about straw men... Uh, like if you're just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation and, and almost out of the gate, they're talking about fallacies and straw men. It's, something's not right. Someone's defensive in, at that point. If they're immediately going to uh, growl stage and, and my logic can beat your logic and, and here's my syllogisms, it's... Now, I, in debate situations, different, of course, because, you know, it's, that's what's expected in a lot of cases. But if you're just having a conversation and you're talking about this. Now, another point I want to make is you notice what he said. He said that oftentimes this uh, technique is used on sincere but not well-educated Christians or Catholics. And they don't have this... this uh, they're ignorant. These Christians are sincere, but these Catholics, they're sincere, but they're just, they're just dang ignorant. They don't know why they believe, and, and sometimes they don't know what they believe, and, and they're just like, well, is that bad, Robert Barron, that some people, some Catholics are just sincere, and they just believe because of the feeling they got while taking part in the Eucharist? Is that bad? Let's say they cannot, let's say they've never read any of these rich traditions you talk about, but they just love Jesus. And they, they have no idea how to defend it. Wouldn't you want a guy like me 
to talk, ask questions to a Roman Catholic like this, who just loves Jesus but doesn't know why or how to defend it, wouldn't you want me to put that Catholic on the back foot so they are incentivized and, and, and have an impetus and a passion to get into apologetics? So they don't feel stupid the next time? Or inadequate? I mean, you should want street epistemologists to target, by the way, they don't, nobody's being targeted here. But anyhow, you should want, even if that's true, you should want that. You should want the most ignorant parts of your tribe to be targeted and ask these questions that gets them to doubt their belief. You know why? Because maybe, just maybe, they will come to you for help. You can sell more books, get more clicks on your YouTube channel, but most importantly, most importantly, they will have answers from you. So the next time this happens, they're prepared. How many times have we heard that we need more apologetics? Well, use atheists like me to get that. Get more apologetics. <laughs> um, Nathan Jasper, thank you for the donation. Street epistemologists have the arrogant audacity to ask people who believe something why. Yeah, isn't that arrogant, isn't it? It's very arrogant to ask someone, ignorant or not, the most sincere, ignorant Roman Catholic, is it still arrogant to ask them, hey, why do you believe this? And what do you believe? Joystick Jedi's, thank you for the donation, says, Baron just admitted many Christians don't have justified belief. Yes, well, he might say, I, I bet you he'd say they believe because of the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the feeling or experience they get when they take part in the in communion, the Eucharist, and that's their justification. But they probably know nothing about the historical evidence or the, um, the rich tradition, the intellectual rich tradition. Maybe not skilled in that area. They're not. They're not uh, trained in the in the apologetic or theological tradition. So I would encourage the street epistemologist to make sure he's not just talking to any old religious believer, but making sure he sits down. How about with some philosophy or theology professors too? <laughs> Sit down with philosophy. Yeah. What percentage of all Roman Catholics does I does Robert Barron think is educated enough? That's not ignorant. What percentage of Roman Catholics are not ignorant about these things? I'm, I'm wondering. I'm asking. Is it 10%? Should street epistemologists find that 10%? Should street epistemologists stay away from university campuses or street corners or whatever, or just poker groups where they're talking about religion and just, oh, sorry, I really want to ask you, I really want to ask you about your Roman Catholicism, but Robert Barron said I should seek out a philosopher or a theologian and ask him my questions. I shouldn't ask you. Is that really what you want? You know, Ray Comfort, he goes uh, on the street or on the beach or wherever, and he asks atheists a lot of questions. And a lot of these atheists are just plain out dumb, dumb as a doornail, stupid. They're, a lot of them are like kids, late teens, maybe early 20s, have no clue. They just want to go surfing or whatever. I don't know. But they have no clue. They're ignorant. I shouldn't call them stupid. They're ignorant. But you know what? 
Great comfort, knock yourself out. I want you to try as hard as you can to convert them to Christianity. I want you to target the most ignorant atheists you can find. Target them and ask them the most uncomfortable questions you can. You have my blessing. Go for it. Now, what I just said, a guy like Robert Barron could never say. Can you imagine we reverse that? Robert Barron, um, can you say... Hey, street epistemologist, I want you to find the most ignorant, sincere, but ignorant, stupid Roman Catholics you can find and ask them your toughest, hardest questions. Come on, bring it on, you, you atheist street epistemologist. Find the weakest among us and pray on them. Go for it. He will never, in fact, he's saying the opposite of that. Why? Maybe because he's not sure it's true or that maybe he's not sure that uh, these Roman Catholics will will hang in there and endure to the end. Maybe he doesn't believe the verse that no one can take the Roman Catholic out of the Father's hands. Actually, Roman Catholics are, uh, are more works-based than the Protestants, so they, yeah, these, the Roman Catholics can easily fall away from the faith. How about some experts in apologetics to make sure this is not just a one-sided conversation? <laughs> yeah, experts in apologetics. That's all. My channel is basically based on the experts in apologetics, the philosophers of, of apologetics, the theologians. And it's just like, well, you'll see coming up. I'll play a little clip from William Link Craig. But they are basically trying as hard as they can to let their fellow believers, you know, the ignorant types, know or, or realize that they're not crazy. They're not stupid for believing these things. And by the way, I'm using the word crazy because he brings this up and you'll, you'll hear him say it. You know, zooming out a little bit on this topic of street epistemology, it does strike me, as you say, that a lot of these methods are meant to be used against believers who are mostly naive about their faith. Maybe yeah. they believe in God because of personal <clears throat> experiences or the way they- Why are they naive about their faith? Hey, churches, wake up. Isn't this your job? Why are these two gentlemen getting, I don't know, upset or irked about street epistemologists maybe targeting the naive, the ignorant? Whose fault is that? It's yours. Oh, I just pointed my finger. Now I got four pointing back at me. It's Robert Barron's fault that they're naive. And every bishop like him. Why do we have ignorant and naive Protestants, it's William Lane Craig's fault. He's not, he's just not doing a good enough job. It's the pastor's fault. It's the preacher's fault. Look inside. Well, how did Michael Jackson put it? Start with the man in the mirror. Maybe we atheists don't have to seek out theologians and philosophers, professors in religion. If you guys would do your jobs. Shame. Shame. <laughs> they were I need a bell. Shame. <laughs> Shame. Praise, but they can't articulate good reasons for their belief. And so um, this philosophy professor is encouraging his fellow atheists to target, identify and target these naive believers and convince. What? Who? What? Is that in? I haven't read his book, but is it in uh, Peter Bogosian's book, Read, that, uh, that street epistemologists should target? naive and ignorant Christians or Catholics 
or religious people. It's them that you really don't have any good reasons to believe in God, so you should just give it up. Yeah, and that's just unfair. You know, I mean, fair enough. You, you want to engage anyone, I suppose. But uh, let's be a little fair about it and make sure that um, you're taking serious religious people under consideration. Okay, he kind of backs off on this. Yeah, you can talk to anyone, but but maybe like one out of 10 times, talk to a philosopher or a theologian. By the way, I think a lot of philosophers and theologians, uh, I haven't done so recently, but I've invited at least 10 PhD philosophers onto my channel. I think only one said yes, and that was, um, what was his name? I forget his name. And it's like, because they know guys like me, I will get right down to the root, to the core of what they believe and why they believe it. And they can't hide with a guy like me. They cannot hide in the weeds of nuance. They cannot hide in the rich tradition. I'll ask them questions like, do you believe Jesus put demons into pigs? If so, why? Why do you believe that? How confident are you in that? What would change your mind about that? Questions like this, they don't want to answer. I'll ask questions like, why is it so bad if a Catholic leaves Roman Catholicism? Why is that bad? They really don't want to have to say, because the God we worship and serve set up a system, whereas it's a binary thing, heaven, hell, or maybe purgatory. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, we don't want them to burn forever. I think Roman Catholics believe in uh, eternal conscious torment ways more so than even Protestants. All right, I'm going to skip ahead over the next couple because they're pretty straightforward. Step three is to confirm the claim. So ask the other person, do I understand you correctly that you believe mm -hmm. blank? Step four is to clarify definition. So once you understand what the other... By the way, you see he's nodding his head. I don't think Robert Barron has disagreed with any of these steps yet. Other than that, he's assuming that uh, street epistemologists are targeting the weak and naive and ignorant. The person believes, make sure you guys agree on the same terms. So if they well, say... Go ahead. Can I just jump in there? Because as, as you know, many, many times, atheists think that we think God is some item within the universe. And so I find often clearing that point up is extraordinarily important. So there's this and there's that, and I go up in space and see these items, and I, I don't see God among the items in the universe, which is precisely... All this is irrelevant. See, he's just bringing up a point that, that atheists are ignorant about what we believe. It's not about, if there's an interview, if the atheist is talking to a Roman Catholic and it's an interview, just assume the atheist is wrong about everything. It doesn't matter. It's about what you believe and why. Now, you can reverse it at some point, but, ugh. Hey, thank you, Gerard Dassin. Was Socrates strawmanning the Athenian culture by speaking to slaves or people in the marketplace? Good question. I don't know. I see what God is not. And so, sure, clarify the definitions, which I think would help the atheists understand how pointless many of their questions are, that they're going after something that serious religious people don't believe in. See, <laughs> he's assuming that, I, I, he's just assuming so much here. I asked Robert Barron, Robert Barron, uh, are you a Roman Catholic? Yes. Have I been manipulative? Am I being uh, of the devil? I see, Robert Barron, you're wearing a little white thing there. Are you a Roman Catholic? Yes. Oh, the SC, the SC manipulation has begun. Okay, my next question. Oh, uh, what, what do you believe about Roman Catholicism? What's it all about? Well, we believe that uh, 
Jesus Christ is uh, the incarnate God, and uh, God took the form of a human to pay the penalty for the sins, the wages of sin is death, and that in the first century he uh, died and rose again uh, for our sins, for our atonement, and that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and uh, take up your cross and follow him, you can have life to the full and eternal life, and that there will be a second coming, um, and we believe that Jesus' presence is real when you take part in communion, the Eucharist. Oh, well, that's what you believe. May I ask why you believe that? Oh, the manipulation. Oh, I'm preying on, on Robert Barron. Why do you believe all those things? Well, it starts with the rich tradition. It's a top-down top thing. It's like um, there's something rather than nothing. The, the universe is contingent, so there has to be something outside the universe to have created it. Oh, I see. So, um, the God is outside the universe, yes? Y yes, yes, you're understanding me perfectly, Doug. Thank you for listening. No problem. The manipulation, the manipulation. But how did you move from this God being outside the universe, creating everything, to maybe the universe or the cosmos not to being contingent at all? Maybe it's not contingent. Maybe it's necessary, the cosmos. How did you figure that out? Well, Doug, that's just, it just doesn't make sense. The, there has to, there's no way that something finite can, can be necessary and non-contingent. It just, it just, it just can't, that can't be. Infinite regress, it's just no way. It's just like, uh, there has to be a God. There has to be, has to be a God outside the universe. Okay. You, you see, none of this has anything to do with what I believe. I'm just asking him what he believes and why. So let that cut both ways. All right, let's move into steps five through 10, because this is really where the meat is of this yeah. process. So that's kind of basic yeah. preliminaries. Uh, but here's where we get into the meat of it. Step number five, identify a confidence level. So I thought this was interesting, because it's not just engaging the arguments in and of themselves. The street epistemologist... By the way, I've, I've very, very rarely used confidence levels. I talk about it as comparisons. How confident, and I tell you, Robert Barron, if he ever was to come on my show, this would be one of the questions I would ask you, and you will hate it, and it's like I'm manipulating. Uh, are you more confident that, uh, well, it's a good one for a Roman Catholic. Are you more confident, confident that Jesus literally transforms in the bread and the wine, his blood into the wine, his flesh into the, the bread, during communion, during the Eucharist. Are you more confident about that? Or that when I let go of this pen, it will fall to the ground? Which one are you more confident in? Guys like Robert Barron will hate that with a passion because they don't want Roman Catholics to hear me ask that question and him say, well, yeah, I'm more confident in uh, the pen dropping because you can demonstrate it and it's repeatable. It seems like no matter what, bias you have what culture you're from we all can do it hey thank you joshua daniel for the donation when i was in church nearly no one knew apologetics i did now i'm an atheist correlation <laughs> well uh for some it helps them stay more um firm in their belief uh, but there's not uh it's not a small percentage of people who go into apologetics end up leaving what's the percentage of those who go into seminary end up leaving uh, specific theism. I think it's like 10, 
first wants to get the other person to give a number on a scale of zero to 100 that identifies how confident you are in that belief. So they might say, you know, you believe in God and you trust the Bible. Yes. How confident are you in that? Scale of zero, like not confident at all, 100%, meaning I'm absolutely certain. Where do you fall on that scale? Do you think that's a good metric? Is that valuable? Is that meaningful? What do no, you think about that? Go back to Newman on that. Uh, the first thing is a two quoque move, is that practically everything we believe is to varying degrees of probability rather than epidictic certitude. There are a handful of things that we, we know with epidictic certitude, certain mathematical gifts. <clears throat> By the way, I think the question was, what do you think about these confidence intervals, these confidence levels? And now he's talking about probabilities. It sounds like he's agreeing with it. Etc. But the extraordinary majority of those things that we hold to be true, we do so on the basis of degrees of probability. And that includes all the sciences. Think of, of how much... Okay, what's the degree of probability that Jesus actually transforms into the body and the blood, uh, bread and wine during the Eucharist? What's the probability of that actually being true? And what's the probability that this pen will fall when I let go? How much we know because of what we've learned from a tradition that we ourselves have not verified. So how sure are you of, now fill in the blank, or look at history. How sure are you? Give me a percentage, you know, that Julius Caesar really, you know, was killed on the Ides of March in 44 BC. Well, yeah, based on a, really the handful of sources we have from that ancient time, all of which could be uh, uh, deceptive, etc., that were carried by a tradition that might have changed the stories. And see, once you... <laughs> He's just saying why Roman Catholicism could be false. Start down that path. Everything we believe, everything we know, is always known to varying degrees of probability. I agree 100%. See what I did there? 100% with, I agree with Robert Barron, 99% with what he's saying here. You know, so in a way, it's trying to put religion in this, oh, it's this uniquely unsure sort of thing. Well, I mean, the whole range of what we know really falls under that kind of heading. Yeah, you see what he did there? He's, it, this confidence levels is putting religion into something more unsure, but that's what everything is. No, wrong, false, that's not right. Try again. <laughs> and this is why guys like Robert Barron would never come on my show. By the way, Robert Barron, if you ever watch this, you're invited to come on my show. But this is why you don't, I think, want to come on my show because I agree with you, probabilities. But if you were to say that in front of my face, I would pick up whatever I could, like a pen, and I would ask you, is religion your religion? Are you as certain using probabilities that it is true? Compared to me dropping this pen, you have to say no, I think. I once once told you should never tell people you have to do something. I think it would behoove you to admit, yeah, the probability is higher that this pen will fall when I let go, rather than Roman Catholicism is true. And to me, Bishop, it seems like zero or 100 is pretty easy to identify, and we almost never have that level of apodictic yeah, certainty or doubt right. about something. But then in between that, how do you even begin to distinguish like a 65 from a 70, you know, right. like a 50 from a... That's a good question, but that's not the point. The point is just to have some type of framework of where you are on that scale. I think people can recognize that they believe some things more strongly, they're more passionate about it than other things, that they're more confident in certain things rather than other things that they're more confident that 
that uh, when their wife says something to them that they believe it versus a stranger, uh, that they trust their wife more than their stranger. It, it, it's, but yeah, it's, the point is not to say, okay, uh, you're at 65. What, um, what exactly is the difference from 65 to 70? Like, uh, is it a feeling or what? You know, that's not the point. I'm a 70. I, I don't even know where, where you begin there. Right. I mean, how sure are you of, of your, even like your, wife, your wife's deepest uh, convictions and beliefs and so on? Well, I mean, any couples will say that we become more mysterious to each other as we move through life, you know? The, the, this fantasy, see, of 100% apodictic certitude, that's an enlightenment fantasy, that the light of reason shines. And then the things that I... By the way, this is all irrelevant, what he's saying now, with street epistemology. It's the person is asking on a scale of zero to 100 and he's like poo-pooing 100 uh, and I think poo-pooing zero. But if someone, if a Roman Catholic says, I'm 100% sure, I'm 100% confident that Roman Catholicism is true. Would you suggest, Robert Barron, we uh, street epistemologists or, or manipulative atheists say, oh, come on, that's stupid. You can't be 100% sure of that. Uh, even Robert Barron said that on a live stream uh, on uh, September 14th. You want us to say stuff like that? Or do you want us to just go with it because, you know, you know how humans are. As soon as you say, no, that's silly. You can't be 100% on anything. Uh, they get a little defensive and they get like um, on their back foot. Clearly see, that's what I believe. Gosh, almost none of life is like that. Almost none of life. This is now go back to the critics of the Enlightenment. Go back to people like Goethe and others. Uh, Pascal comes to mind. You know, is is it's such a narrow range of things that allow themselves to appear in that kind of brilliant, bright light. Most of the most important truths that we know are known in the in the twilight. They're known. Uh, the most important truths we know are known in the twilight. Uh, in in a fleeting way, you know. In a fleeting way. What's an example of an important truth that? Exists in the twilight and we're in a fleeting way. Hey, thank you, Tony D, for the donation. Doug, I have a brilliant idea. You become a street preacher, but only preach the horrible parts of the Bible. How could Christians disagree? Well, if you try that in Canada, you actually might even go to jail, as that Christ forgiveness guy learned. I think he went, was arrested a couple times. But I'm getting back to Robert Barron here. The most important truths, like, I would think one, some of the most important truths have to do with your survival, being dead or not being alive or being dead. So I think an important truth would be if I drink hydrochloric acid, concentrated hydrochloric acid, that it's true that that's going to kill me. That's a pretty important truth. Now, is that in the twilight? Is that a fleeting truth? No. You could, I wouldn't suggest this, but you could take a thousand people have them drink a, a glass full of concentrated hydrochloric acid. And I predict all thousand of them will die if you, they don't get any help afterwards to neutralize it. That's a, not a fleeting truth. It's not a, a truth in the twilight. And that's pretty important. It's the difference between life and death. So I'm going to resist right away this tendency to distinguish sharply between the clarity of the sciences and then all this obscurity of religion. That's a false, phony dichotomy. Uh, false, phony dichotomy. Okay. I, hey, uh, Christians, Roman Catholics, if you're listening right now, be careful. Put your full armor on because I'm, going about, to, I'm about to manipulate you. 
I'm about to use my powers that I've gotten from my boss to resonate with you in a deep and powerful way. Are we so different, Christians, Catholics, atheists? Are we really so different? When we get up in the morning, let's say you drive to work every day, and you take the key and you turn or you press the button, don't you want your car to start like 100% of the time, 100 out of 100, maybe 90, you're willing to, you know, 99 out of 100 if you forgot to put in gas or if the car battery is dead. But really, 99 out of 100 when it comes to starting your car is better than 50 out of 100, yes? Robert Barron, are we that different that you would say, oh, I, I don't need that ki type of reliability when it comes to starting my car? You're okay with 50 out of 100? If you're not okay with 50 out of 100 when starting your car, are you okay with 50 out of 100 when it comes to intercessory prayer? Are you okay with a 50 out of 100 with eternal salvation? Are you okay with 50 out of 100 with Jesus rising from the dead? Do you need 80? 90? 99? I think... Christians try to, and Catholics try to take this, their beliefs and separate from the scientific method or this sense of reliability because they know it's not as reliable. I remember when I was a Christian, it just would bother me that it seems like these are real people who have real needs and we're praying for them and yet they die and yet they still are sick and yet the the mothers still watch their kids die and so forth. It's Christians and Catholics Catholics realize it is nowhere near as reliable as the scientific method or certain science scientific truths. But they're willing to take the trade off. They're willing to lower their value of reliability because they get something else in return. What's that something else? Hope, meaning, purpose, explanation. So yeah, maybe this is not true. Yeah, maybe this prayer thing won't work. Um, but I got at least hope that when I die, I'll go to heaven. Hey, thank you, Nathan Jasper, for the donation. Is he saying that since we can never be 100% sure of anything, we can just believe in whatever we want as long as we are above zero, Bigfoot, Illuminati. I don't think he's saying that, but he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to say that there are claims on this planet that none of them are at 100, so why are you picking on religion? But how I just demonstrated, there are things that Christians and Catholics believe that they're way more confident in. There are claims that are way more reliable than the religious claims that they believe in. But they don't want to mix religious with science because it. then they're confronted with it. They have to stare it in the eye and say, yeah, ugh, it's not as reliable as this. All right, so that was step five to identify a confidence <laughs> level. So this, How fond I am of all these steps. So go ahead. Uh, Robert Barron, I think you, you've agreed with most of these steps so far. <laughs> so the street apologist, he's, he's asking you what you believe about God. You admit you believe in God. He asks you how confident you are on a scale of zero to 100. You give him a number. Step six is for him to identify the method that you used 
to arrive at that confidence level. So the advice- Oh, this is gonna be good. How they have determined that their belief is true or how they arrived at their stated confidence level. They may provide multiple reasons, but try to focus on just one or two. They might provide multiple reasons, but stay focused on one or two. That's important. Ideally, those that contribute the most to their confidence. Look at them. Um, for it's example, typical. Go ahead. <laughs> it says, for example, you might settle on quote a powerful. By the way, I'm not sure, but I think Robert Barron swears in this uh, live stream. Personal experience as their primary reason for believing that God is real, but whatever it is, you want to identify the main reason that explains their confidence. How come you married your wife? Give me the one reason. How come I married my wife? Give me the one reason. There isn't one reason, but I can give you the main reason, because at the time I was a Christian and I thought my wife was a very godly woman. Now that's an answer that I know will resonate with uh, Catholics and Christians. But I have other reasons. Now if, you, if Robert Barron actually listened to what uh, his sidekick was saying, sorry, I don't know your name, uh, atheists like Peter Bergosian admit that there's multifaceted reasons. There could be a potpourri of reasons why people believe things. There's even reasons that the person might not even be aware of. But still, out of all those reasons, can we pick one or two and talk about it, critically examine it? And what does Robert Barron say right out of the gate? That explains their confidence. How come you married your wife? Give me the one reason, the one you're most confident. Give me the one reason why you married your wife. I mean, I can't imagine it. See, he caught himself that you're most confident. But there are reasons that people are more confident about than others. This is real. This is not fake. People have beliefs. They will make a claim. And they will, they can rank at least some of them. Like, for me, godly woman with my wife. I found her beautiful. That's a pretty good reason. <laughs> I was attracted to her physically. Another reason I married my wife, uh, it's probably not as high as the first two, was because I didn't want to be alone through life. I wanted someone to share life with. Uh, another reason was, uh, probably lower than those, is I wanted kids. The reason why I say that the being alone part is lower is because I probably could still have been okay not getting married, and I could have married someone else, so it didn't have to be her. That's why I put it lower. Having kids was the reason I wanted to get married to my wife. But again, I could have married a different woman and had kids. So you can put a hierarchy. You can rank these reasons. A husband ever doing that. It's because it's not true to life. John Henry Newman taught us, right? We, not just religion, mind you, but everything that we believe is in 99% of the cases based upon a conjuries of hunch, intuition, experience, sense verification, uh, witness of others, uh, theoretical speculation, all of which contribute to this move of the mind when we say, I assent to that truth. It's a typically enlightenment fantasy. And it goes right back to people like Descartes. Let's find la méthode, right? Let's find the method. I'm always wary of that from Descartes on. I got an immunization. All this is irrelevant to what the questioner was was talking about there's it's it's a given that there's multiple reasons but just pick one or two to investigate and from reading descartes as a kid against the method i found the method there is no such thing we come to know in such a complex way that that attempt to reduce by the way if you're a catholic listening please try to uh reduce your anger to me if you have any and your love for 
Robert Barron, if you have any for him. And just, are you noticing what I'm noticing? Because we're talking about many reasons to believe. Let's talk about one or two of them. And he's going on this rant against Descartes and everything about science. Can you see the defensiveness in your hero here? I can. It will always try to box you into a very narrow space. Unless it corresponds to la méthode, it's not true. Nonsense. There, there, a pox on your method. See, I say whenever I hear a method coming up, a pox on your method. We, we know in such a richly variegated and complex way, and not just religion. We do indeed know religious truths that way, but, but across the board, scientific truth, psychological truth. Um, because trust me where they're going with this. I, I haven't read the book, but I know where they're See, he's saying what he said because, trust me, I know where they're going with this. They're going with it. They're going toward some scientific reductionism, right? If you have to verify it empirically, you got to form hypotheses, you got to do an experiment, you got to verify the experiment, and that and only that corresponds to what's real. A pox on that. <laughs> A pox on that. <laughs> that. That illumines an aspect of reality. I'm completely in favor. I love the scientific method. Why do you love? Oh, see, if he was in front of me right now, I'd say, why? Why? Why do you love the scientific method? What is it about the scientific method that you love? And he, I think, is going to say stuff, well, because it's a good way to, to get rid of things that are not true. It's a good way to falsify things. It's a good way to, um, uh, to see if, if a hypothesis is actually correct. Uh, it has a system where people will try to bash it and, and see if it can still... Uh, uh, remain through the through time with all the professionals the professors and so forth trying to falsify it it's repeatable it's reproducible if someone does a an experiment in uh, wichita kansas someone in calcutta can do the same experiment as long as they know the procedure and see if they get the same results try that with religion try that with roman catholicism i dare you But it is, do not force me into that little narrow space. Uh, and that's what all these, that's all these people from, from the early atheists on are trying to do. And I'm resisting that. Why? I actually forget if he answer, answers or says why he's resisting that. But why are you resisting that? Why are you resisting reliability, reproducibility, consistency, falsification? Why? Why are you resisting that scientific method when it comes to your religion. Hey, thank you, Nathan Jasper, for the donation. We have a complex, we have complex reasons for knowing things and we don't want to talk about what they are. Well, they know they, well, trust me, they want to talk about it, Nathan. They want to bask in the nuance and the rich, rich, rich tradition of uh, what they believe. Um, you know, here's an example. You know, he doesn't, look at, he doesn't say why. Are trying to do, and I'm resisting that. Um, you know, here's an example, Brandon. Sorry, I'm, I'm ranting here, but these these yes, things bug me. These kind of books bug me because young people get drawn into this stuff. You know, why is that bad? Young people get drawn into this stuff, so 
this gets back to what I was saying about Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort, if you ever hear this, you have my blessing to find the most naive, ignorant atheist you can find and try to convert them to Christianity. Go ahead. Do it. Robert Barron, can you say the same to atheists? Atheists, try to find the most naive, ignorant Roman Catholic and try to deconvert them. Why is it I can say it and my guess is you can't? Because you're scared. Because there's so much at stake. Uh, during COVID, I don't know if you've noticed this, the great Patrick Stewart, now age 80, has been doing a sonnet a day, right? He's reading a Shakespeare sonnet every day in that beautiful, mellifluous voice of his, right? Well, I've been sort of caught up. I am addicted to it. So I always check them out every day. And they're short. It only takes like a minute or so to read the sonnet. But he reads it. And um, you exult, of course, in the beauty of the language. You exult in the intricacy of its composition. You know, you exult in, in the beauty of his voice reading it. But, but, if you're the least bit sensitive, you also exult in the truth that's being conveyed to you by that sonnet. A genius like Shakespeare, not just a literal, an artistic genius, he was that to be sure, but also he was a, a teller of the truth about life, about the mind, about love, about relationships, about God, and it all comes through in those sonnets. Now, none of those sonnets can be analyzed according to the scientific method, but yet they are bearers of the truth. And I... I the sonnet is the bearer of the truth of what? That it gives you a dopamine rush that makes you feel good? I resist any method that's going to tell me, oh, that doesn't bear the truth. No, no, no. Those sonnets of Shakespeare... They... What did he just say? Method ...that's going to tell me, oh, that doesn't bear... And I, I, re I resist any method that's going to tell me, oh, that doesn't bear the truth. But what if... <laughs> What if it's not bearing the truth? You resist any method that says this is not bearing the truth. Have you just, do you have a presupposition of these sonnets then that they're truth by definition? Is it an axiom? Is it a brute fact that these sonnets, uh, and I don't even know what truth you're talking about here. I guess maybe that it's beautiful. You'll just resist that method a priori. Oh, I'm starting to think Robert Barron doesn't value truth. He doesn't want reliable methods to come into truth. He will resist any method that says a certain truth is not true. That's not valuing Robert. That's not valuing the truth, Robert Barron. Shame on you. You should be open to the idea that you're wrong about this truth of coming from a sonnet. I still don't know what truth he's talking about. I think I think he's talking about beauty. No, no, no. Those sonnets of Shakespeare, they, they're beautiful, I guess, and they're literarily interesting, but they don't bear the truth. Nonsense. They do, just as Plato bears the truth. What truth are they bearing? Truth, even though he's not a scientist, right? Just as Bach bears the truth and Mozart bears the truth, though they're not following the scientific method. And so religion, which is a close cousin to art and poetry and so on, religion bears the truth. Religion is a close cousin to art and religion. That's interesting comment. That is fascinating. Though they're not following the scientific method. And so religion, which is a close cousin to art and poetry and so on. Close cousin to art and poetry. Isn't art in the eye of the beholder? Isn't poetry in the eye of the beholder? Cannot someone look at a piece of art and see something completely different than another person who looks at the same piece of art? Can someone read a poem and interpret it a completely different way than another person reading the same poem? 
Are we saying that Roman Catholicism is like that? That it's in the eye of the beholder? And that whatever is true for this person might not be true for that person? It's like whoever, it's like a free-for-all about truth? Robert Barron, are you sure you want to say what you're saying? It's either true or it's not that Jesus rose from the dead, right? It's not in the eye of the beholder. It's either true or it's not that, that there's the miracle of the Eucharist and that the interpretation in, found in the scriptures, it's not open to interpretation, that there is a, a, a transfiguration going on there with the Eucharist, right? It's not in the eye of the beholder like it is with art or poetry. But he did say cousin. He didn't say sister or brother or sibling. Religion bears a truth that cannot be reduced to the scientific method. Okay, end of my rant for today. <laughs> yeah, uh, good point, Anthony Magnabosco. So often um, Christians and Catholics will say something, not always, but so say something like, uh, you uh, atheists are just uh, subjectivists. Uh, you don't believe in objective truths, objective morality and all that stuff. Now who's being subjective here? He just flat out said that Religion is like the subjectivity of poetry and art. Hey, thank you, Uber Scheiser. It has been a long day, and I'm in need of that dopamine rush one gets when Doug says, thank you for the donation. Well, thank you. Thank you for the donation, Uber. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of leery of bringing up these new atheist <laughs> topics with you. I'll take, uh, uh, I'll take the kids to In-N-Out Burger with your five bucks. Bishop, because I feel like we're going to have to put a heart monitor on you no, but get you going. Because it's because young people are being influenced by these people, and it, this is not a trivial matter. Because you Why is it not a trivial matter? You and I both know that they're being led away from the faith by these simple-minded, superficial... Uh, simple-minded, superficial... They're being led away. This is just so juicy. <laughs> um, it, you can just... It, it's like the defensiveness is, is pouring out of his pores. Robert Barron, why are you so uptight about this? Who cares if people leave uh, Roman Catholicism? What's, what's the big deal? And if someone does lead someone away from Roman Catholicism, don't you think they'll come back once they realize that it's true? Like if Roman Catholicism is true, why are you so worried and ranting right now? Why, to be frank, why are you so defensive? And if the se -er, if the person practicing street epistemology is truly ignorant and simple like you alluded to, so what? You admitted that a lot of your Roman Catholic followers are naive, they're sincere, but they're naive and ignorant. Just viewed as one ignorant person talking to another ignorant person then. <laughs> uh, okay some donations uh, thank you Ken R for the donation and thank you Corey Melton the boss down here says you're doing a great up there on Earth's crust keep raising hell Doug okay well I, I hope I'm not raising hell but I, I just I hope Christians and Catholics can see through this that this is this is basically trying to shut down inquiry 
instead of encourage it. It's like, don't talk to these, these Roman Catholics or Christians. Why don't you find uh, a professor or a theologian to talk to? Well, he didn't say don't ever, but he kind of alluded like, you know, the Roman Catholics, they really don't know what they're, what, what they're saying and what they believe, so talk to me instead. Um, uh, so-called epistemologies, but go ahead. One thing that strikes me, Bishop, at this point it's worth, it's worth talking about is how this approach differs from the approach that you propose in your book, Arguing Religion, which ah. is let's talk about the arguments for whether God is... Great question by this guy. And I have a feeling that a lot of the same things Peter Boghossian says, Robert Barron has at some point in his life said himself. But when it's used against Roman Catholicism, then it's bad. But when it's used for Roman Catholicism, then it's good. Exists or not. Mm -hmm. When you focus only on the epistemology, you're getting into these questions about how confident am I in this knowledge? Yeah. How do I know this? And it's sort of avoiding the more fundamental question of ontology. Yeah. Does God exist or not? Yeah, like epistemology is exactly. interesting, but it's not ontology. Yeah, but you see that in the movie's making. It uh, yeah. But we're not talking about ontology. We're talking about epistemology. Okay. Uh, this is going to offend Roman Catholics and Christians, but... I, in the face of ontology, on the face of ontology. And here's why. What good is ontology if you don't know what it is, if you can't figure out what it is? For example, let's say there is such thing as moral objective truth, objective morals. Okay, I'm open to that idea. I'm opened up. I'm open to that possibility, that plausibility, whatever you want to say. But if we can't figure out what it is, who cares? Let's say there's a ontology that there is a purple and pink Lamborghini sitting on Pluto right now. Let's say the ontology of that is that it's true. It's real. It exists on Pluto, that Lamborghini. But if there's absolutely no way of figuring that out, knowing that, who cares? What good is it? Is he's immediately moving religion into this kind of subjective realm of, well, I guess you've had these feelings that tell you this is true. Where he, I'm sure, I'm dealing... You hear how he just contradicted himself? Talking about subjectivity and placing Roman Catholicism as a cousin to poetry and art? Well, I guess you've had these feelings that tell you this is true. Where he, I'm sure, I'm dealing with the objectivities that the sciences can verify. Come on. Come on. That's a typical sleight of hand of a lot of the atheists, both old and new, is to push it off into the subjectivism. When indeed, as, as you... <laughs> so, the irony is just so... Rich. Well, no. There's a very rich intellectual tradition around arguments for God's existence, which are making an appeal rationally but not scientifically. There's a distinction there. Don't reduce it to the scientific. They are rational warrants for belief in God. And it moves out. Are there rational warrants to believe in your God, the God of the Bible? Out of the somewhat murky realm of my little subjective feelings, and it moves into the realm of the objectively uh, verifiable. So, uh, is there a word about that? Is there ever is there a section on the arguments for God's existence? I'm just not curious. As far, not as far as I'm aware. In fact, <laughs> did Peter Bogosian uh, study uh, all the the early church fathers and put a section in that in his book? Robert Barron. Most people who are not Christians or Roman Catholics do not care, and even 
those who are Christians and Roman Catholics do not care about the early church fathers and what they had to say and all these philosophical arguments for God. And when we get down to step 10, which we'll get to in a second, it seems like the goal isn't necessarily to arrive at some shared truth about whether God exists, whether yeah. the Bible is trustworthy. It's to help people to become more confident and justified in their beliefs, whatever they are. So we can shake hands and part amiably, even if we don't find the truth together. Um, that bothered me a little bit. Why? Why does that bother you? That is the starting point of someone realizing, oh man, forgive the language, but I can imagine someone, a Roman Catholic saying, oh crap, I really don't know why I believe what I believe. I mean, yeah, like why should I think that something is true based on this experience I had or, or whatever? Man, I got to start, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start getting into apologetics. I'm going to contact uh, Robert Barron. You should be thanking us. Us meaning atheists who sometimes do street epistemology. And other people, not just atheists. You should be thanking us. Because it's getting, it's motivating your Roman Catholic members to get off the couch and start investigating why they really believe this stuff. Robert Barron. You're welcome. Uh, okay, let's let's keep moving through these, and we'll hit these last few ones pretty quickly. So step six, what we just talked about, was to identify the method uh, that was used to arrive. Yes, crap is a bad word. I apologize. Step seven is to ask questions that reveal the reliability of that method. And the explanatory note says, your main tools here are the Socratic method, the outsider test of faith, which I'll mention here in a second, and questions that revolve around the falsifiability of their claims. Um, so for the outsider test of faith, they give an example. They say, if a Hindu woman had a similarly powerful personal experience that convinced her that Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva were real, would that be good evidence that she was correct? And presumably the other person would say no, and the street epistemologist would then say, well, then that's not good reason for you to believe in God. What do you think about this outsider test of faith strategy? It's silly, and it's a false dichotomy. Uh, it's silly? In fact, in the last program, we mentioned this. Uh, is there something like a generic spiritual experience that a Hindu and a Christian might both have, a sense of the sacred? And might a Christian at the very early stage accent that according to Christian doctrine, a Hindu according to Hindu doctrine? Yeah, sure, of course. I'd expect that. But there's much, much more to making a claim like the Trinitarian God is real versus a claim about Hinduism. In other words, it's not reduced. You hear the specialness? There's much, much more. The Trinitarian God is special when compared to the Hindu beliefs. Ours is different. You can't compare the two. It's a false dichotomy. Ours is special. So when I experience Jesus in the Eucharist, don't you dare compare that to Sam, who I interviewed, who experienced Krishna. How dare you compare the two? to one little subjective experience that could be ingredient in it sure that's part of the that conjuries of of, of uh, causes to religious faith but don't reduce it to that and then say oh well nobody's reducing it to to that it's like you're right it's one ingredient personal experience of a deity is one ingredient probably in many believers lives of, of why they believe but let's investigate one ingredient at a time this is this is the problem with philosophers in religion, uh, theologians, 
professors, bishops, pastors, preachers. This is what ends up becoming whack-a-mole. Okay, yes, I, I understand. Outside test for faith for personal experience. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, um, Doug. Uh, but I got this. So you whack that one on, and then this one pops up. When you whack that one down, this one pops up. But we got uh, the contingency argument. Uh, we got the moral argument. We got uh, the uh, martyrdom in, 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 um, in the eyewitness accounts. Whack that one down. It's like the way, in my opinion, the way a lot of Christians and Catholics, they do not want to talk about each specific uh, reason one by one because they know that it can be doubted one by one. But you just scrunch them all together, and then now we got something. But shouldn't each individual reason have a little bit of oomph behind it, just a little bit, to stand on its own, just a little bit? That's reasonable, right? Oh, there it is. You know, you say Vishnu, you say God, so you're both equally right, equally wrong. You're both crazy. No. Okay, you're both crazy. I'm going to do some psychologizing here. He's basically revealing what's going on internally by saying you're just crazy. He doesn't like non-Catholics, atheists specifically, viewing Catholics as crazy. Say Vishnu, you say God, so you're both equally right, equally wrong. You're both crazy. Yeah. If you are confident in what you believe, or if you really think you have the truth, I don't think you would say this. Or I don't think you would even care to say this. Plus, Christianity, Roman Catholicism, says in its own text that it's foolishness, it's irrational, it's crazy. You'll even hear some pastors, preachers, bishops, whatever, admit this. Yeah, a man rising from the dead, yeah, that's pretty nuts, right? That's pretty crazy. But we have a ton of evidence to overcome that craziness. But they will still admit, a priori, this is nuts, this is crazy, this is foolishness, this is irrational. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. My advice to, to bishops like Robert Barron is embrace the craziness. This is what keeps Roman Catholics together is the craziness. No, no, no. That's one element, perhaps, in the whole process by which I come to religious faith. Um, so, see, look at the subtle move there, though, is they're determining the question. They're saying, oh, clearly the only way... That's what usually happens in an interview. The interviewer determines the question. Hey, you could possibly affirm that. Actually, that's not quite true. Based on the answer, uh, the new question arrives. This is on some little subjective experience. No, it's not. There's a whole range of things. And how about we talk about that, smart guy? How about we mention some of those? See, put him on his heels a bit. This <laughs> so he's admitting, he's admitting that asking, using the outsider test for faith on a Roman Catholic puts the Roman Catholic back on their heels. And that's uncomfortable. That doesn't feel good. I don't want to be on my back heels. I want to be on my front heels. So what is Robert Barron's advice? This whole thing is designed to put the religious person back on his heels. So he's always fighting a defensive war. Don't play that game with them. Don't let them play that game with you. <laughs> Using the finger.
Why not? Why not play the game? I don't think this is a game. I think this is just a person asking a question, why you believe it? Why is personal experience uh, a reliable method or a good method? Or why does it give you confidence if it doesn't work for the Hindu, but it works for you? Why not be on your back foot and maybe come up with a better reason? Why, why not let that motivate you? So last few steps, uh, step eight, listen, summarize, question, watch, repeat. So just recap the conversation. Step good. nine, wrap up the conversation and they <laughs> give a good question to ask at the end, which is given the things that we've talked about, do you think that your confidence level has changed? Do you still feel that 100% is accurate or whatever they said, or is it perhaps lower? And then step 10 is to part company amiably and, the, and he gives some good advice on what, yeah. what success looks like yeah. in this these street epistemology what conversations by the way it's all, all these rants that bishop robert Barron has had for the most part i think he's agreed with all these steps the only step he didn't really agree with is questions that gets to reliability falsification that's where he really pushed back but most of the stuff from steps i think one through four and then at the end he agrees with but when it's used against Roman Catholic, that's when he's on edge. Um, so one, the interlocutor feels the exchange was enjoyable, positive, and valuable. Good. Good. Uh, two, you successfully induced at least one instance of aporia in the interlocutor. Uh, three, both parties express a desire to talk again. Good. And then finally, and I think this is his primary goal, a marked change in your interlocutor's self-reported level of confidence. So I think for an atheist employing this strategy, the goal is to approach a Christian, probably a fairly naive Christian, and get them to leave less confident about their faith than before. Yeah, how do you tell? Okay, this is so interesting. Like guys like Anthony Magnabosco, um, uh, Reed Nice Wonder. Reed Nice Wonder has like a little booth. He sits on a chair. He has a like a little uh, placard. Says, uh, do you want to be interviewed or do you, um, yeah, would you want to be interviewed about certain topics? They look and they say, hmm, do I want someone to ask me questions? Sure. And they sit down. It's not, how in the world can you target the naive and the ignorant on that way of, of doing interviews? And then same with Anthony Magnabosco, the videos I've seen, he's like, he's standing there uh, either in a park or a university campus and people walk by and he'll ask good would you like a five minute interview and my guess is a lot of say no i don't have time and they just keep on walking fine like is there is there certain hats that roman catholics wear that we can tell which is the smart ones and which is are the ignorant ones like even if we wanted even if we wanted to target the most naive and ignorant roman catholic how would we do it Based on the shoes they wear, how long their hair is, come on. But Bishop, as you and I have talked during and before this episode, this whole strategy, which is essentially a Socratic dialogue, could equally be applied in the other direction. We could sure. equally go find yeah. a naive atheist who's yeah. never read a book on the arguments do for it. God, who's never heard the brightest minds explain why we believe what we do. And do it. I encourage Roman Catholics to use street epistemology, or you don't even have to call it that, on atheists. But the thing is, here's the problem. This is what bothers them. Because if they were to try that on me, 
they have to wait for a claim. Like they, they just can't shove a claim into my lap. They have to wait for me. So what would you like to talk about? I don't know. Um, let's, let's talk about, uh, I believe that when pens are dropped, they fall to the ground. <laughs> I believe that uh, the earth, I, I'm very dogmatic. I'm very dogmatic about the earth being a sphere and and going revolving around the sun once a year. I'm dogmatic about that. We want to talk about that. So it's like they get frustrated because they they want they want me to pick a belief that they can pick apart, but yet I'm not a type of guy that's overly passionate or dogmatic about beliefs that I, in my opinion, I shouldn't be dogmatic about. Like we talk about something fun, like. Uh, how will COVID affect the economic climate in the United States over the next 24 months? Like something about the future that nobody knows unless you have a crystal ball that works. And get him to question his, his atheist yeah. commitments and have his confidence in God go up. What? Yeah. Well, okay. If you want to put something like, uh, what would cause my confidence in God to go up? Great question. If a Roman Catholic wants to do street epistemology on me do, and, and put a claim on my lap, the claim is God exists. Do you believe that? No. Why not? I don't think the um, evidence is sufficient to match the claim. What would, uh, what would raise your confidence? How confident are you? Uh, Christianity, I'm probably at 0.5%. Uh, General Deism, maybe 1% or 2%. Okay, great. What would raise your confidence? Okay, well, um, on which God? Are we talking about on the biblical God? What would be your, your confidence? Oh, okay. Um, I see uh, you have a napkin in front of you. Soak that in water and pray in the name of Jesus and in the name of Yahweh that will light up in fire like in First Kings 18. That will raise my confidence by quite a bit, actually. Might even put me over 50% if you do it right now. You see how easy that is? But Christians, Catholics like this, they're going to hate that answer because... I basically said, you got to demonstrate your God to me. And even then, you know, you can't get to 100%, but I'm not asking for 100%, but you got to demonstrate. Pray in the name of Jesus. You can get five napkins even. Put them all in water and just pray. Just pray in the name of Jesus. That, that Yahweh will light them up so that those napkins burn to a crisp in the water. They, they rather talk about the rich traditions, the rich their early church fathers, the contingency arguments. They don't want to do stuff like lighten water on fire. <laughs> and his confidence in atheism go down. How do you explain a contingent universe? So maybe plant that little aporia in the mind of, of an atheist. Yeah, okay, great, great, great. Uh, number one, if, if, if Robert Barron was uh, like Reed Nicewander sitting at a booth, um, and uh, something like, uh, the God of the Bible is real, changed my mind, or something like that, and I sit down and... And, in, and Robert Barron okay, you smart Alec Pine Creek Doug guy. Well, well, the contingency argument, what do you think about that, huh? Well, uh, does the contingency argument say that Roman Catholicism is true? No, no, but we're talking about God here. Well, which God are we talking about? Well, just a general nebulous creator type God. Oh, not, not the God specifically that you worship in. Worship. Well, I believe he's that God, but... But the contingency argument doesn't really apply to your specific theism, correct? No, no, but, oh, okay, then why are we really talking about it? Well, we've got to start somewhere, top down. Okay, well, let's talk about the contingency argument top down. I would, uh, 
I would go through my Rolodex and I would bring up people that Robert Barron respects, not this guy, Robert Barron doesn't respect capturing Christianity, but I think Robert Barron respects William Lane Craig. Now this is one of the most, it's like honey, honey to my ears when I hear this. This is uh, William Lane Craig talking about the contingency argument. The last question that I have for you is, what view that you've defended are you least certain of? Oh. Well, it would probably be one of the arguments for God's existence. Uh, maybe, for example, the Leibnizian argument from contingency. So Cameron Bertuzzi asks one of the great philosophers of our time, Protestant. We're not going to blame him for being a Protestant right now. but And he's asked, what are you least, of all the arguments for God, what are you least confident in? Probably the contingency argument. So if a guy like Robert Barron, why we believe what we think and God go up, that little aporia in the mind, down. How do you explain a contingent universe? So maybe plant that little aporia in the mind of, of an atheist. Yeah, if he said that to me, I'd say, well, you know, I'm just a farm kid from Canada. I am ignorant of a lot of these philosophical things. I actually find philosophy boring. I don't value or respect your early church father traditions and so forth. However, I remember hearing William Lane Craig saying he's least confident in the contingency argument, and he does this for a living. Robert Barron, can you explain to me why that is? Can you steel man for me? why some people don't find the contingency argument compelling? Why is it that two intelligent, reasonable, rational people can look at certain philosophical arguments and come to different conclusions? Can two reasonable, rational, rational, rational reasonable people look at the acceleration due to gravity and come to different conclusions in the same testing conditions? Why do we see these differences? Ah, because religion is the cousin of art and poetry. <laughs> I love that. Why do you believe in objective moral values? Explain that to me now in detail. Why you think objective... Or and I've heard philosophers say the exact same thing about the moral argument. That you, you really can't get there. This is why there's presuppositionalists, by the way. is because they, they've tried these arguments and, and it just falls flat. Moral values are objective. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that the Christian can plant, should plant aporia in the mind of the atheist to get him or her out of that sort of cocky stance of, you know, I got the answers and, and I want to... That cocky stance of I got the answers. No, the, see, this is the difference between me and I think Robert Barron is I am more likely to say, I don't know. I don't have the answers. What happened the moment before the, the Big Bang? I don't know. But according to Robert Barron, I think he does. God spoke it. Whereas I'm a, oh, is the universe contingent or not? Is it uh, eternal, the cosmos eternal? I don't know. But I think Robert Barron claims he does. He'd say, no, it's not necessary. It, it is contingent. It's, it's interesting that he calls street epistemologists or some, or some atheists cocky when it's actually just the reverse now, I do admit, 
a lot of atheists can be um, rude and uh, abrasive. Actually, I take that back. Some atheists can be cocky if they're hard atheists and say, there is no God, full stop. Put you back on your heels. No, if it's a real dialogue, you know, let's go right back to Plato. You, you want to have a real dialogue. Well, then, you know, both parties have to be open to being put back on their heels. This is a very aggressive, I know it sounds, you know, friendly and let's end on good terms and all that's fine. You know, I'm obviously in favor of it. But it's all predicated upon, clearly, I'm the one that knows what's going on here, and you're a poor soul, and i got to put you back on your heels and make you less confident. Okay, I'm going to uh, agree with him here a little bit. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that Christianity is false. First century Christianity, I'm convinced it's false. Uh, and if I was to try to convince someone of that, of course I'm going to come from that, that position. But... That being said, I have markers in my life that would change my mind, that would raise my confidence that Christianity is true. What's the markers in Robert Barron's life? Robert Barron, are you even open to the idea that Christianity is false, that Roman Catholicism is false? Are you even open to the idea? If you are, what are your markers? What are they? What would you have to learn, see, hear, know, to say, ah, I made a mistake, rip the collar off, I'm done with Roman Catholicism? What is it? If I have a marker as an atheist that would convince me that Roman Catholicism is true, what's your marker that it isn't? Let your followers know that marker as well. No, if you're really interested in dialogue, you got to go in thinking, you know, I might come out of this less confident. Uh, unless and until you're willing to do that, you're not a real dialogue. It's a manipulation. And so this, you know, street epistemology, it's not Socratic. This is a manipulation. <laughs> it's a manipulation. I, you know, I could push back on that, but my theory is not to even to push back on that, just to say, be manipulated. If you have the truth, be manipulated. Welcome it. I actually think most forms of communication is, is, um, is a form of manipulation. Not all manipulation is bad. If I'm sitting at a dinner table and I say, hey, honey, can you pass the salt? I've just manipulated her. I call her honey. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, and then I I said something to manipulate her to do something I want. In other words, get me the salt. So don't view manipulation as always, always being bad. Is I'm trying to manipulate you into my point of view. So I don't buy that at all. I mean, let, let them be put back on their heels too by a smart Christian. Yeah, by a smart Christian. <laughs> Okay, calling all smart Christians, paging, paging all smart Christians. Pine Creek wants uh, Roman Catholics because Robert Barron says, I need a smart Roman Catholic Christian to come on my show and put me on my back foot. My email address is uh, in the about tab. And that's the end. <laughs> oh, it is just. I am so happy, I am so glad that one of the reasons I'm glad that I'm not a Christian anymore is that I don't have to defend stuff that's so hard to defend. Christianity could be true, but here's my markers that would raise my confidence. Start raising people from the dead. Start lighting up water-soaked napkins uh, onto, in fire. Start doing the things that um, the early church 
in the book of Acts did. Don't give me these early church fathers and philosophy and theology stuff. Just doesn't do it for me. Might do it for somebody else. Doesn't do it for me. I like my car to start at least 99 times out of 100. I'm not going to treat religion any differently. I'm not going to lower my standards just for Jesus. Is uh, Robert Barron celibate? I guess so, if he's a bishop, right? I'd say even hard atheists are not cocky. Christians are. Well, yeah, it's. I think even Christians admit this, that when they claim to have the truth, that's... Um, a little bit cocky. The truth and only the truth, like. But that's okay. Who cares if people are cocky? Consensual manipulation. <laughs> Ooh. Is that a euphemism, Reed? I invite. I invite. Oh, this is going to sound so bad. Someone can clip this. Uh, some Roman Catholic can clip this. I invite a smart Roman Catholic to manipulate me. It'll be consensual manipulation. Poof. My apologies to Robert Barron. He was scheduled to come on, but we ran out of time. Really? Yeah, really. He really was scheduled to come on. Really. Honest. Promise. Really. The Street Epistemology Podcast is a production of Street Epistemology International. You can donate or learn more about this nonprofit organization at streetepistemologyinternational.org. The views, guests, and topics expressed here or not expressed here do not necessarily represent those of the organization. 